everyone. This is the Covert Report with Susan Lindauer. I want to thank you all for joining me today, this beautiful morning. I hope you will all get your, get a cup of coffee and sit back and relax and, and check us out and l- listen in while you're, while you're reading through your emails from last night. Um, this is going to be a very great, a really great show. Today is, ded- we're dedicating this show to Stanley Cohen, who is one of the great human rights attorneys internationally. Stanley Cohen is uh, has been persecuted by the Justice Department for his superior human rights work using the rule of law and, and the courts to challenge the state of Israel and specifically to demand that Israel must uphold the human rights of Palestinians. And he dedicated 20 years of his life to this important cause. And all of us can see that violence in the Middle East, violence is consuming the Middle East, and all of us wish there was another way, or at least the sensible thinking people uh, wish there was another way. And my guest today, Charles Carlson, is one of those uh, from We Hold These Truths, which is a uh, a a uh, a religious group that is pro peace and pro life, and so you're going to hear from Mr. Uh, Re- Reverend Carlson uh, in in a moment. But but I just want to say that 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 we're dedicating this show to Stanley Cohen, who is has been persecuted and prosecuted by the Justice Department in New York City where they have a lot of Jewish people and a lot of Zionists. And I want to distinguish today, we want to be very careful to distinguish between Jewish people and Zionism. And we're going to come back and talk about this. Stanley Cohen has been fighting Zionism in the courts. And he has been upholding, he's been showing us, uh, he's a, a man way ahead of his time, dedicated to showing the use of law and 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 proper you know and and, and civil disobedience through the courts uh, to to uphold human to, as as an alternative to violence as an alternative to uh, bloodshed for achieving those results. So he has been a, 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 an inspiration of mine for many 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 years, and since the year two thousand four. He has been persecuted by the Justice Department for 10 years. They have investigated him. He is now, tragically, up for sentencing on October 21st, uh, which is Tuesday. And this, 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 he's in prison. They have, you know, all the good people go to jail these days, uh, which is a, which is very unfortunate because it only leaves violence as the answer. If you tell, if you tell people that it's uh, illegal to use the courts and if you stop people from using the rule of law to achieve, to, to redress wrongs, then we really don't leave them too much choice, do we? Which is why, uh, someone like Stanley Cohen is such a, uh, a, a preeminent figure and why this tragedy is so, so horrible. But I, I, t- today I invite, uh, Charles Carlson, Chuck Carlson, uh, from We Hold These Truths, and we're gonna be talking about Gaza 
and ISIS. We're going to be talking about Christian Zionism. Uh, it's, it's, I should call you Reverend Carlson, shouldn't I? Uh, Susan, I wish you wouldn't because I'm not a pastor or a reverend. Okay. And, uh, that's, that's kind of a, a, a lot of the people that we uh, challenge are reverends, however. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am right. a, I'm a former Baptist deacon, uh, Southern Baptist deacon, and, uh, that simply meant I was uh, one of the board of directors of a, of a big Baptist church. Uh, but, uh, I don't have any, uh, any history of, of, uh, actually being a pastor in a church. Uh, and actually, uh, I, I'm afraid I wouldn't want to very, very much right now. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate that. I just, I just wanted to make sure I was giving you the proper credentials. Well, that's kind of you. <laughs> and but I you, hope I may just call are. you Susan. Is that yes, all right? That's right. That's, that's right. great. And, and, and talk to, tell everyone about We Hold These Truths. This is a wonderful organization. Uh, it is pro-peace and pro-life, which is, honestly, is, is somewhat difficult to find, I think. Well, so. uh, okay, uh, 14 years ago, uh, I believe, as time goes quickly by, uh, five or six of us got together, six of us, at, in, a, in a restaurant, and we decided we needed to start a, an organization that uh, we all contributed a little bit of our own money to, uh, to try to uh, put across the idea that uh, uh, that that there was something very wrong in American churches, and it went back to the notion all of us uh, all of us happen to be uh, followers of Jesus in some respect, uh, some active, some not, but uh, all concerned about what was going on in Israel and Palestine, and uh, so we got together and we started uh, we started we hold these truths and. Um, and we kind of found our way as we went along and uh among the things that that we did was we studied what was going on in Israel and Palestine and tried to uh, explain it over the internet and uh our focus uh from the very start was uh, uh was church leaders we really felt that uh, and we we found that uh way back in History back in at the time that the Zionist movement was uh, had had yet to take over uh, the country now called uh, Israel, yes. and at that time, which was <clears throat> was called Palestine by both the British uh, and the world, uh, and uh, so we dis- we discovered that uh, the Christian churches were uh, ver- be- being used to promote Israel's interests, and of course, uh, this of course. Uh, had there had to be someone who was the loser, and in that case, it was the several million people who lived in Palestine who were already there yes. when Israel arrived in 1947. And we saw that this was wrong, and we also saw that the churches were playing a big part in in causing this to happen. And what had happened is that back at the same time that Zionism was getting started. Back in the, uh, say, 1895, there was a movement going on in the churches which was very ge- generously called evangelicalism. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the word evangelical. Uh, all of us who were sitting in that, uh, uh, in that restaurant booth that morning, uh, would have considered ourselves all evangelical Christians. We all thought that, uh, we should tell our neighbors, in other words, about what we believe. But, uh, uh Evangelicalism uh, was a kind of a theft of a good word, 
and uh, and really that has become known through the years as uh, Christian Zionism. Now, Christian Zionism is an oxymoron because Christianity and Zionism can't be blended together uh, for some reasons that maybe we can get into a little bit if yes. you'd like. But uh, it's a sort of an impossible wor- uh, combination of words, and yet there are many, many pastors today, literally thousands, who would identify with that term Christian Zionism. Uh, we identified at first, we didn't, that word wasn't even used at the time we started uh, this, this concern. Mm-hmm. But we also noted that, uh, the movement of Christian, uh, what's become known as Christian Zionism was supporting the wars that the United States was getting into. Uh, and the Iraq war, uh, the bombing of Iraq, which, yes. uh, had already happened in, in, uh, in 1991, January of 1991, was uh, the first notice that we had in our minds that the Christian churches were actually promoting and supporting the idea of going to war, and they were doing it because the war was thought to be good for the state of Israel. That was yes. the, the only reason that the churches would possibly support a war. Uh, so uh, the, the churches most of us had come from said that they were pro-life. In other words, they believed in the inalienable life of every individual being God-given, uh, from the very start, and so they 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 considered themselves pro-life, but they were uh, they were actually promoting war in the interest of uh, of a foreign government. And absolutely. this this is where we started, Susan. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, that is a very uh, and we all know what George Bush did uh, using his uh, his his religious. His, I, I, it's hard to think of that man as being religious, you know, focused on God at all because he's such an ungodly man. But citing his religious heritage, his background, his, his, as, as a justification, uh, you know, like I am right because God is, because I'm with the Christians and therefore I can do no wrong and all the evil things that I'm going to do are rationalized by Christian faith, which is, which is a, a a huge burden to lay on a religious community, I think. Yes, it is. Well, unfortunately, politicians were very quick to realize that the, the element of, of uh, let's call it, let's instead of calling it Judea, uh, Christian Zionism, let's call it Judeo-Christianity. Because what it is is well, a Well, I think Christian of, Zionism is a better, is, a, is, a, is an accurate term. I like that term. You like that. Well, okay, yeah, that's a negative you, term. Well, it uh, is a negative term, but Judeo-Christianity can encompass a lot of good people who are anti-war. Like, for example, I want to start by saying, you know, by saying that I am a huge supporter of Jewish Voices for Peace. That's a wonderful group. That is, that those are Jewish people. Uh, many with dual citizenship who are in in America and Israel who are uh, standing up and saying that the Jewish people uh, are find it repugnant repu- find israel's policies repugnant against the Palestinians and just they're they're heartbroken for it and they're and they're challenging them they're saying this you are you 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 say you're doing this in the name of Judaism this is not Judaism the Zionism is not automatically Judaism and we oppose you. So, um, so let's do stick with Christian Zionism because I think that 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 encompasses of that that focuses on the problem. It really does, and as long as uh, listeners understand that from a, from a Christian uh, viewpoint, 
you really can't be a Zionist. Uh, it's, 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 it's really an impossibility because of the things that Zionism stands for. So to, to say someone is both a Christian and a Zionist uh, is uh, kind of like uh, a frog out of water, I guess, or something. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll use that term for, yeah. for that purpose. And, and to comment on what you just said, Jewish Voices for Peace are very close friends of ours. At least we found that in, in several of the projects we've carried out where they've come out and stood with us uh, uh, hand in hand, uh, uh, supporting this very notion. And, uh, for instance, uh, we've done several vigils at churches where we openly challenge what churches do. And in quite a few of those, in several of those, including the la- last one we did in, uh, in uh, San Francisco, uh, California, Jewish Voices for Peace was there with us, uh, challenging the Christian churches and saying, not on our, not on our watch. That's right. Uh, we don't believe this at all. So they Good. were. Uh, the, so Jewish Voices for Peace is is very anti-Zionist and uh, and dedicated. And some of the people more than others, of course. But I agree with you, Susan. And there is a big, there is a, a very important movement within Judaism that's growing fast against uh, the idea of 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 Israeli Zionism and what they're doing to the Palestinian people. Yes, yes, that is that's true. Now your group is it has been you you are an expert on on Gaza. You, you tell us about your travels to Gaza. Uh, you 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 have written an article uh, Israel's ongoing genocide and ethnic cleansing of Gaza. You 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 do a lot of research on this. <clears throat> yes. Um. Once we once we got into the notion of, of what was happening, uh, I, I felt really compelled to try to find out. And in 2002, in the spring, March, uh, I uh, went through Egypt and uh, managed to get into <clears throat> into Gaza during Intifada II. Now, Intifada was an uprising of the Palestinian youth, and it was primarily uh, active in uh, in uh, in, the, in the West Bank. Uh, but uh, in in the spring of 2002, Israel had decided to put down Intifada, and they began uh, arresting uh, kids and parents and destroying homes all over the West Bank. And uh, Gaza, of course, is uh, is the most un- difficult place to get into in Israel because it is a um, an island inside of Israel, up against the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, blockaded on all sides. It has a fence around it, literally a fence around it, and there are only three gates in, and Israel has set up checkpoints at all three of those gates uh, with armaments uh, supporting their checkpoints so no one can challenge them. And uh, so I got into Gaza in the spring of 2002. Uh, a long story, Susan, of how I got in, but uh, it was just uh, because I went by myself, and they didn't know my name at that time. We hadn't written any articles about Israel. <laughs> and uh, so yes. being unknown, I sort of passed myself off as a fisherman, and I took a, a route that was easy, to, that was that, that was commonly used by uh, by fishermen to go in, uh, go to the Red Sea, down at the very southern tip of Israel, uh, at, at a place called uh, 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 Taba. Taba is the uh, Arab city across the... Uh, across the line, um, and uh, so I got into Israel that way and, and, and took 
public buses and traveled by myself and kept my mouth shut. And when I got to uh, to Gaza, of course, I found uh, a, a a prison where uh, no one could get in and no one could get out. And 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 I looked for a line to stand in line to get into Gaza. There was none. The, the cab wow. dropped me off at the gate, and he said, "Go that way." And uh, I, and and so I I went to a che- uh, to a, a checkpoint with a big barricade and uh, military people inside it. They're Israeli military, and I said, "Where's the line to get into Gaza?" And they said, well, "Go into that door over there." After questioning me, and uh, but make a long story short, uh, I got in. I passed wow. myself off as as a American Christian who was there to visit. Christian missionaries who lived inside of Gaza. Ah. I had their names and phone numbers, and they'd given me permission to use their phone numbers, these wonderful ladies who were doing mission work inside but of But you the actually had to go to that extreme. Well, today you can't get in at all. No one has been in Gaza for years, uh, with very rare exceptions of people that are taken in on sort of guided tours with Israelis present. It, it's, oh, my it's impossible. God. You may have heard of the ships that tried to bring yes. goods into Gaza through the Mediterranean. Greek ships were turned around. A friend of mine was on one of those ships. Uh, uh, there were eight people killed. The Israelis landed on these ships and, and took over the ships and arrested everyone on them. So, no, you can't Even though it was in international waters. Yes, I remember that. It was on international waters. Let's remind everyone about that because this is, we want to, you know, let's remind people what you're describing is a blockade that is inhumane. It is, it is, it is itself, it exists as a war crime. It it really does. Uh, What you find inside Gaza is, is an amazingly resilient population of very, very productive people who have lots of kids and big, big families and live in the most dense of circumstances. There are currently a million eight hundred thousand people in in this little place called the Gaza Strip, and it's only twenty five miles long and uh, and five miles wide on an average, maybe. Uh, and uh, so it's in a other little words, bit bigger than Manhattan. Uh, I don't know even know if it's big. No, I don't think I don't think it's, it's even close same... to being as big as Manhattan. Oh, okay. I really don't. No, it's it's the same size as the old city of Denver, not the full city of Denver now with all the suburbs, but just the original old city of Denver. It's uh, it's very tiny area. Uh, the population is thought to be the most dense of any twenty five of any hundred square mile city in in the world. And uh, that's because these people have been locked in there, and uh, and uh, they're mostly they're almost all Muslim. Uh, but uh, the Christian missionaries who I visited uh, in uh, in 202 were perfectly comfortable. These women driving uh, their car up and all through uh, all through Gaza, very densely populated, lots and lots of old cars. But uh, but the, and the Baptist church that they, uh, they they attended was right next to the mosque, so the, they got along in perfect harmony with uh, with all these 1.8 million Muslims who were all around them. Uh, that was one of the secrets that was hidden from people in my church. Uh, we were we were told in my church that you didn't dare go into an Arab country, uh, that the missionaries weren't safe there. Well. The missionaries I met didn't want to leave, and their churches wanted them to. 
Oh, wow. Uh, they, they were an embarrassment to the Baptist church because they got along so well. And you, as you can imagine, uncovered American woman, uh, not, not, uh, not uh, middle-aged even, uh, driving her little car all through a, a place with a population like that. And uh, people, people very comfortable, did not want to leave. Uh, their churches actually were, were, had been dragging them out by refusing to pay them. Oh. No longer being paid to be missionaries. And all of the missionaries that uh, I visited there have actually been somehow or another moved out of Gaza by now. I don't know who is left in Gaza that is a, that is a, a Christian missionary anymore. Oh. Wow. That uh, is, so, that's very sad. But that's it, it literally sad. is since then, uh, all around this little 100, 100 or 125 square mile area, is a fence, and Israel patrols all of it. And then inside the fence, Israel has declared a uh, a no, you know what a no-fly zone is. This is a no-walk zone. In other words, they say it's dangerous for the Palestinians to get close to the fence because they might break out. So uh, they just have have enforced a, uh, a barrier around the edge, and, and the farmers can't farm there, you can't pick fruit there, you can't hunt for birds there, you can't do anything. Uh, so in this very hungry place uh, now, uh, at that time, uh, people were getting along fairly well. There was still food being allowed in, uh, but Israel controls the gate where all the trucks go in. So whatever gets in there, the water that gets in there, the uh, electricity that they use. It's the evil. Water. It is just an evil, despicable, horrific uh you know, it's just, it's just how can anyone pretend to be a superior race of people if they behave this way? My God. Oh, uh, certainly not the Israelis. I would never call Israeli a, Israel a superior country. Oh. It's hard to exaggerate, Susan. Uh, I wish if more people could see Gaza, um, the problem would go away. Uh, the way it is now, Israel runs a very effective, um, a very effective uh, tourist industry, and they do it by having an amazing control over what people see when they come there. And these uh, these groups that churches bring in, and some of these churches bring in groups every year, uh, are are ta- taken under the wings of, of of Israeli military people, Israeli guides, Israeli uh, spokesmen. And uh, they actually stay in Israel for a week in five-star hotels. Often, often it's a week. Sometimes it's even more. Yeah. Uh, and and they never see any of, of what I'm telling you about. And uh, of course, n- not one of these, not one of these church tours has ever entered the gates of Gaza, as far as I ever know. As far as I know, yeah. uh, one of my uh, years ago, I talked to my own congressman. Uh, at that time, uh, at, he's no longer in Congress, and uh, he had been taken in to Gaza. And I asked him; uh, he'd been taken to uh, to a to home of Yasser Arafat, where they at that time, uh, where they had some kind of a meeting, and they uh, and they brought him in. And I said, "Well, what did you think of what you saw?" And he said, "Well, uh, I was in a, a Israeli ar- um, per- armored personnel carrier, and because of the danger to me." Uh, all the windows were, uh, were covered. And oh! 
I didn't see anything. I oh, saw no. This, this You're of kidding. That, that's what he told me. Oh. So he, he rode the 20 miles, uh, or, or it's actually about to where he went. It was only about five miles into into Gaza through the poorest of slums. Oh, uh, and, and, they uh, blocked out where, all the windows. Yeah, in a, in a big oh. blacked-in armored personnel carrier and oh. uh, another couple of congressmen. And when they left... And what they saw was a beautiful beach and a, and a, and a big home that belonged to uh, Yasser Arafat at that time, who was uh, the, 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 the Palestinian Liberation Organization okay. leader. Uh, and he actually subsequently left Gaza City, and he didn't even go back into Gaza. Uh, but the West Bank, which is uh, the other... Well, three million, maybe. Oh, oh uh, sorry. Was... Hold on. We're about to come to a break. Okay. This is, uh, this is Susan Lindauer in the Covert Report. We're talking to Charles Carlson of We Hold These Truths, a pro-peace, pro-life, uh, religious community dedicated to exposing the real facts of Gaza and Palestinian life in support of an anti-war agenda throughout the Middle East. This is very important stuff. And, and thank you so much. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Covert Report with Susan Lindauer. And my guest today is Char- Charles Carlson from We Hold These Truths, which is a wonderful Christian peace organization that has been working with Jewish Voices for Peace in challenging they except their their focus is to challenge Christian Zionism in the Middle East which is pushing these wars so hard. Uh we know that George Bush junior and senior have been have 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 sported Christian Zionist philosophies and policies and uh, a lot of these organizations, we're, we're going to talk about this. We're, we're talking now about Gaza, but we also know that a lot of Christian Zionism believes that Israel must be, um, we'll, we'll talk about more, more in detail about this, but believe that Israel's resurrection is necessary for the coming of the Messiah. And therefore, it's it's a little more complicated than that. We'll get to that. But first, I want to stay with Gaza, because Christian Zionism has a philosophy that is actually uh, perpetrating true suffering in the Middle East, in in Palestine, where in the in the in the homeland of Jesus of all places. Uh, and and the, the 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 brutality which is being justified in the name of Christianity in supporting Jewish Zionism, um, and and the, the 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 camaraderie between these two accounts for a lot of the Republican support on Capitol Hill, which we see which is unwavering and unthinking, and so I really appreciate what we hold these truths is trying to do and is and it's a it's got to be a lonely fight but it's so necessary uh to get to talk to these christian christian uh churches and to address them and challenge them to rethink their position on Israel it is so i i, I admire your work so much mr carlson well thank you very much susan and uh it, it's 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 actually a lot of fun 
we didn't start doing it because it's fun, but uh, it is a, it is a it is a mission, and it's uh, it's very gratifying. It's a good life uh, mission. So many it's people. A good life who, mission. Yeah, we have so many people contact us uh, who. Um, whose relatives, whose friends, their very best friends, even husbands and wives in some cases, or wives, and certainly children, are caught up in this idea of Christian Zionism, and, and, and it's changed their biblical view, and they have strange ideas of, of what their Christian beliefs are that, that, that stuns the, often stuns the person who calls me and asks me, well, how do I deal with my father? Uh, he is in, in a, in a, he's in a nursing home. Uh, they have this... Bible study there, he suddenly come up with these very strange ideas. He thinks that the Palestinians should be eliminated. He, he, he thinks God wants them gone. He Ooh. thinks they need to be, he thinks it's okay to have genocide against them and, and just Ooh. eliminate them totally because they're interfering with God's work. And, 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 and then the lady tells with they, God's work? Oh, I want to choke. Yes. Oh. Well, and, and unfortunately, it's not just old people who have been caught up in a nursing home and watch too much uh, Pat Robertson on TV. Uh, children uh, get caught up in this as well, and so it, it's a, it's a huge problem because we're talking in America about upward to seventy million people who've been influenced in some way by Christian Zionism, and a, a very large percentage of those people are voters. Yes. And you asked me originally uh, why George W. Bush. You, you mentioned George George W. Bush, the Junior Bush, how he he suddenly arrived at this Christianity, became very devout Christian, uh, 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 at least he said he was, and had a friend who was a big time pastor. It wasn't Billy Graham, but it was someone like that. Uh, and you asked me how can these people uh, do that and still uh, carry out Zionist aims. And the reason is that it's a very practical thing to do. You cannot get elected as president in the United States today unless you can swing a pretty good share of that 70 million or at least uh, whatever number of them vote, say half of them vote. Uh, that Christian Zionist vote today is is almost the control vote in America because if a politician convince, can convince them that he is on Israel's side, then he will get a vast majority of the vote of those people who are influenced by the Christian Zionist churches. So this is a huge political problem in addition to being a humanitarian problem. And of course, for the families of people caught up in this, uh, they, they see their, they see a separation between themselves, sometimes in the family. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very much of a human problem too. Uh, and and I, I get involved in a lot of that, and just talking to people about how to how to deal with it. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is th- th- this is this is a very serious issue. Be- yes, explain you asked me about, and I digressed because I didn't want that to be left unsaid in this program. No, no, no. We're going to have to talk about that because the Gaza is the focal point of it, and. It's something that today everybody should be able to identify because the world really knows today that Israel just finished going in and bombing, uh, making a hundred, I think the figure is 200,000 people in Gaza homeless oh. simply by destroying their homes. And oh. there is winter in Gaza. It, it is Mediterranean, but 
the, the missionaries who lived there told me how chill it was in the winter. They, the ladies told me, I, I put on all my clothes when, when we get into December and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. into, de- and so, uh, they, uh, yeah. they, they, uh, to be homeless on the streets with five children in Gaza is a serious predicament, believe me, when everybody's house is completely full, when not, nobody has any room. Uh, these people take care of each other as best they can, but, when you destroy 25,000 homes with American, basically using American ammunition, American uh, smart bombs, uh, Apache helicopters, uh, American F-16s, uh, when you do that to a people, you are basically making life impossible. And uh, and in this latest raid, and most most people can find this out if they if they don't know this, a little research on. Google will, will uncover what's really happened in Gaza this yes. very year. And, uh, the, the, of course, the pretense is that Israel was attacked first, that they're, uh, they're, the, that the Gazans were the defender or were the aggressors and that they were just uh, taking care of their own. Yeah. But, uh, most people can see through that today if they take a little look at the numbers. Through almost 3,000 people, 2,500, I guess, uh, uh, killed immediately and God knows how many of the burned and injured hundred thousand uh, will die for lack of proper medical treatment because oh. that little place in Gaza is still in a block under a blockade today uh, if Israel does not allow food in the people there don't eat oh, God. and uh, they limit they strictly limit how much food gets in how much water gets in what medical supplies get in uh, and and so in 202, it wasn't so bad. You see, saw donkey carts going to and from fields. The market was open. There's a famous market in Gaza City uh, where people go to buy produce. Uh, the, the farmers bring it in on donkey carts mostly uh, because they're, 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 in 202, there were uh, more donkeys than there were uh, trucks. And so uh, the, the market was... Uh, is a huge market, and that market was actually bombed at the time when it was being opened, and people were there uh, in this latest uh, uh, operation, Protective Edge, uh-huh. Israel called it. Uh, they actually bombed that market that I saw, and, oh. and I, I didn't go in the market, but I, I saw the market along the road as we, as the cab went by it, and people told me about it. In fact. Uh, one of the girls, one of the American girls called it the stink market because uh, that was American term because uh, it, it, there was so much stuff there that, it, that you could smell it. <laughs> and so, uh, oh. so but, the, the, but the people who live in Gaza City, uh, more than a million people who live in Gaza City, uh, they absolutely depend on that market. Oh and yeah. To think of that being bombed when women, uh, with all of their kids behind them, are are in there trying to buy something to eat during a blockade. Oh, uh, you can God. just imagine the impact of that. Uh, well, now, now also the tunnels. There, there, they, they, the Israelis have made a big deal about the tunnels coming in from Egypt. Now, isn't it true? Am I geographically challenged here that Egypt shares a border with Gaza? There's a little corner of Egypt. Uh, a, a picture, uh, picture uh, uh, Gaza looking like maybe a, li- a wine bottle or something like that. 
and at the at the uh, one end of it is uh, at, the, at the north end at the end that faces toward Tel Aviv. Uh, along it's uh, and one one side of it is along the sea along the Mediterranean, and and at the uh, smaller end, you have a gate uh, which is called Eris Gate, and that's on the north side. And if you took a bus down from Tel Aviv, uh, you could uh, get a, get there uh, with a taxi. Uh, from a from a from a from a military city just north of there, uh, and uh, and you go in re- really through the neck of a bottle, and that is the uh, checkpoint. In it's got barricades all over it. Uh, but but, can, but, but they can get through to Egypt, right? No, on the other end, on the on the bottom end of the bottle, that uh, butts up against Egypt. Yeah, and so, yeah, they they so, can get into Egypt, but Egypt has been blockading them. That's right. Now, what See, this is was, what's so crazy, is that Gaza does have one and tragic, uh, crazy and tragic. Uh, Gaza has one point of access to Egypt. Like you said, it's the, the bottom point of a bottle, if you imagine a, the shape of a bottle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very small uh, area. But at that point, Egypt could allow the Palestinians to travel back and forth and could allow the Gazans to, to receive supplies, but they have really shut them down as well, haven't they? Yes, they have. Now, at, at the time I was there, of course, because I Because of into, pressure from the Christian Zionists. From the Christian Zionists and uh, from Israel itself, uh, who is, of course, a, a pretty strong military neighbor. But uh, the biggest reason that Israel cooperates with uh, with uh, uh, that that the present government uh, and, and and past governments too of Egypt have cooperated with Israel is that uh, Israel is the number one recipient of U.S. foreign aid. They get 3.2 billion or something like that per year in military aid from the United States, and the second biggest recipient recipient of military aid and foreign aid, including dollars, uh, is Egypt. So you see, the, the the United States government is very much involved in this because we deal out that foreign aid to both countries, uh-huh. and Israel is under and 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 the governments of successive governments of Egypt are under pressure at all times of whether they're going to be able to keep that that money. Uh, and if you go to when you go to Egypt, you'll find a, a big military presence there. Uh, the soldiers are used for. Uh, you know, patrolling the uh, the, uh, the commercial areas, but also the the tourist areas. Uh, there's a lot of military presence show, uh, around there, and that's pretty much paid for by this U.S. aid. So, the, whatever government you have, cur- the current government uh, of of Egypt, being very uh, very much dependent upon that aid, uh, they simply do what they're told. Uh, they may resist for a time, but they do what they're told. Now, the tunnels, um, keep in mind that, the, the, that this country has been under blockade from the time that I was there until the present time. Oh, 12 years. Uh, there is a, uh, ocean 12 year person. blockade. Pardon? A 12 year blockade. Yes. It's hard uh, to imagine a... anybody. If everybody think back to when 9-11 was, this blockade started shortly after 9-11 and has right. continued until this very day. Until this very day. Uh, and prior to that time, there was, there was still controlled access, but Israel sold stuff to the Gazans and allowed them to get 
enough substance, uh, enough food in to keep them. The United Nations uh, provides a lot of stuff because you can imagine there's no employment there. One employment can you have in a country that's only 25 miles long and is not allowed to have an airport, not allowed to have a seaport, and not allowed to have open entrance in the, to and from it. What, what oh business can you can you imagine they're taking going on there? And how much room is there to farm in a 25 mile area that's got 1.8 million people in it? It's oh uh, it's unimaginable. It, it really amazed me to be able to go on the streets of Gaza and buy strawberries that were very nice and take them to my little apartment. Uh, it, it, it surprised me how much food they had when I got there. And uh, they were very industrious about trying to raise it. A lot of home-raised stuff, but uh, oh. very limited as to how much they can possibly raise. For instance, they, can't, they have no room to raise wheat. They have no room for a cattle ranch. There's no room for anything like that. Uh, oh, it's, my God. And, and this blockade, Susan, that's been going on covers everything because... In the Mediterranean, the fishermen there, of course, life depends on the fishermen there to a large degree. Uh, they're limited, too. They've been forced into where they can't take their boats out to where the fish are. So they are limited to fishing in three-mile waters. And the fishermen oh have God. to go where the fish are if they're going to bring in course. something in the nets. That's evil. That is just evil. And none of these things are, are secrets. All of this is available, not just from We Hold These Truths uh, and others, uh, and, and you mentioned Jewish Voice for Peace, but there are, there are many other Palestinian organizations that, that are really uh, give out, put out good information. It's usually quite accurate. It may be a little slanted. They try not to be so slanted as this is well, they, the, the problem is, is that the, the the truth is so hideous that you don't have to slant it. You just have to provide pictures, photos, social yeah. media, and thank show God for the, the uh, horror the, of the story. It's just it's 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 just impossible to imagine anyone could survive at all, at all really in such is, circumstances. Yeah. I would uh, I would go out uh, in my little stay there. I would go out on the streets and and go to the internet cafe. And, uh, and go inside and, and spend an Israeli shekel. By the way, they even have to use Israeli money. So I would spend an Israeli shekel to buy 10 minutes of time on the internet so I could check with life back home. It was very slow internet. And I would have these Palestinian kids flock around me and want to share the internet with me and talk to me. Oh. And, uh. Oh, God. I met one man who had 23 children. Oh. <laughs> That, now I have to tell you, that's, me to a good number. that's very. They, they, uh, uh, that's twenty-three children. Yeah, yeah. He had two wives, uh, and his friend had one one wife and eight children, and they were uh, they were they were day watchmen in a in a construction site. I just happened to stop and talk, and they made coffee for me on a Bunsen burner. So. Um, so they were they they were constructing. They have to build upwards. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they they were still trying to build things then and maintain things. So they had workmen, and and they 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 still. There was one building I saw that one new concrete building that someone was actually building. Someone pointed it out to me. There's an optimist. He's building buildings, because the bombs raids came at night, and while I was there, I actually witnessed and photographed a a bombing raid, and. Uh, <sighs> 
To do it, I, I was in a building owned by the Southern Baptist Convention who refused to admit there's any problem in Palestine. And uh, I, I got up on the roof. Uh, it was a two-and-a-half-story building, and there was a, a little uh, ladder that went up to the flat roof, and I climbed up on that to watch the bombing that went on that night. Oh. And the Apache helicopters were hoovering within 1,500 feet of me, maybe, uh, a quarter of a mile away. And they were, uh, there was a little uh, 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 detachment of them, two or three, I could guess. It was dark, but I could see the flashes of light from the, from the uh, uh, rockets they're launching. They're called Hellfire missiles. They're still being used today. Yes. And they're made uh, in the United States. Uh, and and they they launched forty, approximately forty of these things that night, and it took several hours. There was no resistance; nobody shot back at the helicopters because no one has any weapons to shoot a helicopter. Oh, with. And so God! They just so they're just they're just they're just sitting sitting there shooting people like yeah, a shooting arcade. I, I went. I got out of the apartment uh, by myself because I didn't have a guide that day, and I walked all the way across uh, Gaza City to uh, where the where, where these bombs were coming down, uh-huh. and there was a funeral procession going on, and they were carrying the bodies of four dead people uh, in this funeral procession, and and then there was a big march, a protest, and uh, I walked along behind it. I felt very bad about being American. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're a witness. You're a yeah. witness, and you have to give. You have an, a you, you, the the voice of a witness for people who cannot speak is just. It, it's it's a it's a it's an enormous obligation. It's like you know we are the. I mean I I I believe. Okay, everybody everybody in my audience, I know that there are atheists out there. I'm cool with that, but I do believe in God. I strongly believe in God, and I believe that we are God's hands and we are God's eyes, and that we are God's voice. We are the voice that has to speak. Uh, not that we are the voice of God. Not that we are God. Not that. That's not what I'm saying. Don't twist my words for all you atheists out there. Don't twist my words. We're not, we are not the, vo- we are not the voice of God. God is God. But we speak because someone has to speak. We speak oh. for injustice because someone must raise a voice to, 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 to defend values that are, real, that are good, that are humanitarian values. Uh, thank you for saying that, Susan. Uh, so, because you said it so well, and uh, I want to also point out that over the years, uh, our little effort. Oh, and by the way, uh, the, the the pictures I took from that rooftop. Oh yes. Uh, I managed to save uh, some some uh, primitive footage of, of the photographs I took with a handheld camcorder I happen to have with me that someone loaned to me before I went. I didn't own a camcorder at the time, and. Uh, I actually photographed that missile raid, and uh, and, and then uh, I had a friend help me, and we did a video called uh, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning. Yes. And we've published it free on our website, so people can actually see my my Gaza testimony on that uh, on that uh, video. It's on on our the w the whtt.org website. Uh, it's called Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, and the last. Five or ten minutes are photographed from that roof in Gaza City, and we'll go to. Oh, that's not great photographs, as you might guess, but uh, they get the point across. Yes. 
And yes, are, I, I see it. Uh, everyone, everyone, let me say this again. This is the website is we hold these truths, and the 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 uh, it's w h t t dot org, and this is and and you'll see wonderful, wonderful uh, in from articles. Uh, the war on ISIL pits big oil against the American people. Gaza, a culture of children versus Israel, a society of death. Uh, another article, Israel's ongoing genocide, ethnic cleansing of Gaza. Uh, will Israel get away with murdering innocent Palestinian women and children in Gaza again? Uh, you do rallies all over the United States, and especially you do them in conservative communities. I am so impressed by that. You go into Arizona, you go into Colorado, you go into Texas, you go into the South, you go into the red states, and you stand and you challenge them as people who believe in God yourself. So you are a, quote, red state voter yourself, uh, but, or, or I'm, making some assumptions here but but there but you come at it from a religious philosophy so you can speak their language you know the bible you you know faith in god you know the responsibilities of true faith i what i consider to be true faith uh and and i realize that you know one of the the highest principles is humility we do not no one speaks for, to all the jihadis in the world and all the Christian fanatics, none of us speak with God's voice because only God is God. But uh, but we are trying to articulate values that and principles of that are that are religious in nature. So uh, I admire what you do going into these places, and you don't shirk from that. You are in direct contact with these people who need to be communicated with. Uh, yes, we've done, started doing that shortly after I came back from Gaza. Uh, we realized that how huge the problem the churches was, as I as I said before, uh, the the Baptist church that was in Gaza could have been telling this story to every every Baptist in America, of which there are, at that time were twenty million. There are a lot less now, by the way, which is kind of good news. But uh, they were not. Instead, they were muffling it. They were embarrassed by it, and, and, and they were so uh, wrapped up in the idea that they had to support the state of Israel that they could not tell the truth about their own mission in Gaza City. Yes. They had to pretend it wasn't there. And the building I was uh, standing on belonged to that church, Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, they weren't doing anything with it because, uh, because they, they really couldn't, uh, they couldn't approach even uh, Gaza. So... Uh, and, and I also want to say that in in our movement, which uh, which we've challenged about a hundred huge churches around the uh, around the country, from one end of the country to the other, the last one being in San Francisco, uh, but uh, and by the way, the next one being in Denver, Colorado, here uh, tomorrow, no, no less than tomorrow. But uh, excellent. We uh, uh, we've we found that uh, that the. The people in the churches are the less, least informed about what's going on in the Middle East of anyone because oh. they're deliberately deceived by by the by, by the by the Christian Zionist movement within within them, and uh, we've done a, a lot of study in that uh, as to how that happened and uh, the, the nature of how Christian Zionism became. Uh, 
Um, I'm sorry, Charles. We've got to go to break. This is the Zimmer Report with Susan Lindauer. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about Christian Zionism and why the churches are the least informed. This is a very serious question for those of us who want peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Covert Report with Susan Lindauer and my very important guest today, Charles Carlson, Chuck Carlson, from We Hold These Truths, which is a religious group dedicated to pro-peace and pro-life that is challenging the, 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 the large Christian churches that are propagating Christian Zionism, uh, promoting war in the Middle East, and the abuses, the terrible abuses by Israel against the people of Gaza and the Palestinians overall, but particularly in Gaza. Um, Mr. Carlson, I, Chuck, I'm so glad that you're on my show. This is, this is very, uh, what you're doing is such an important mission. You, right before the break, I want to pick up exactly where we left off. You were saying something very important that the churches are the least informed population of the United States electorate regarding Israel. Excuse me, regarding Middle East wars and Israel. And let's, I want, let's pick up right there. All right, Susan. Well, first I need to uh, qualify this for the interest of, no doubt, many of your church-going people who are, uh, might be listening to this. You need to divide the American church community into uh, three rough groups of uh, more or less the same size. If you can picture a, a wheel with, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, with, uh, th- with three sections in it. Uh, the uh, Roman Catholic uh, section is, of course, America's biggest single church group. Uh, then you have a group that, that we roughly call, and they roughly identify with the traditional uh, 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 Reformation churches. Uh, these are the old churches that started out uh, in, the, in the Reformation times. They're called Protestant Reformation churches sometimes. You would think of them as being the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the uh, and the Methodists. Uh, and the Methodists yes, uh, and then you have a newer group that started about a hundred years ago and didn't exist before that. Before before a hundred years ago, America was roughly half Catholic and half fundamental Protestant and, and some atheist. And by the way, I shouldn't, I don't want to digress, but many of the people who are very interested in what we do, uh, do not believe in God or haven't believed in God at all, and maybe, maybe because of what they've seen in churches. But, uh, quite a few people who are with the us. Churches and are with driving people away. Yeah. Are not, are, yeah, would not call themselves Christians and, and, and will, and many of the people who help us are not Christians. And, uh, but in any case, uh, the, the the three spokes uh, back in about 1895 a move or in the, in the in the middle 1800s a movement got started it came over primarily from England and Scotland and uh, it, it didn't take much uh, it didn't take much traction at the time uh, but then about 18 uh, about the 1900 with the start of the Zionist movement in Europe a very powerful movement to uh, supposedly create a homeland. And uh, the first uh, the first uh, leader of that was uh, uh, was uh, uh, Theodor Herzl, and he wrote a book called The Jewish State. Uh, it was written in German, Der Judenstaat, uh, in English translation, The Jewish State. 
and he de- devoted his life to trying to get uh, a state for the uh, uh, get title to a piece of land called uh, which he eventually settled uh, upon the idea that it had to be Palestine. At the very same time, uh, a religious movement was being fostered in the United States, and there was strong evidence that the Zionists uh, in the United States were very interested in this movement because the movement contended that uh, that the uh, that the that the future Messiah would come through uh, a Jewish state in the Middle East, yes. and uh, that was promoted by various people. I won't go into the names at this at this point, but uh, or or the organizations, but it goes back uh, into the 1870s, 1860s, and uh, and came here. Uh, through, a, through a person called John Nelson Darby, who was a, a Scot, and he he found a disciple here called uh, named Cyrus I. Schofield, uh, and Schofield became a very por- important man in this idea of promoting a Zionist movement in the United States and promote and promoting that movement right inside of churches, and uh, and and Schofield wrote eventually wrote a Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible, and we uh, talk a lot about that in our movement, and we've studied it a lot and read it from yes. stem to stern. Uh, and, and and this Bible basically said the state of Israel, uh, there would be a, a state of Israel that would, uh, that would be a God's chosen uh, avenue uh, to the future world. And uh, yes. that movement has has grown into what today calls itself Christian Zionism, and today so today that movement represents one third of this wheel that we talked about. One and third, they believe they are adamant that the state of Israel's resurrection, the re, the, the renewal, the, the rebirth, whatever the rising of Israel, is is vital to the coming of the Messiah. And right. they and but they also believe that Israel has to be. But but the part but the part of it that I find very interesting is they believed Israel had Israel's reemergence was necessary so that Israel could be torn down as part of the coming of the Messiah as well. So they haven't really grasped it entirely, have they? That no, the one but- requires the other is supposed to be followed by the other because Israel's arrogance, Israel's hubris. Would be so offensive to God in the Christian, in the, in this same Christian philosophy. The Jew, the Jewishness. So, so what you have are the Christian Zionists at its purest level. And please correct me. I know you know this better than I do. Much better than I do. And I will, I will defer to you. But they believe that the emergence of Israel is the first step. And then Israel's hubris and violence and abuses would be necessary to invoke God, to persuade God to send the Messiah to strike down Israel. So they see this as a necessary process. They look at the Palestinian abuses and they say, oh good, this is the precondition to bringing back the Messiah. Isn't that the truth? Isn't yes. that really how this plays out? Yes, and that's uh, that's very well stated and and it's very interesting. What, uh, let's take a name. Uh, the most famous Christian Zionist and probably the most outrageous one today is Reverend John Hagee, who, uh, holds forth at a, at a huge church called Cornerstone in uh, San Antonio, Texas. 
And we've been to Cornerstone Church, and we've had people go inside and listen to Hagee, and while we stood outside and talked to people going in and tried to explain to them uh, what Hagee was doing and, uh, and what's wrong with Christian Zionism. Uh, and uh, we've done this all over the country. Uh, essentially, what the churches that I described as being this new order of of of, uh, of fundamental uh, Christianity, uh, as it's sometimes referred to, um, or or evangelicalism, yeah. uh, if, you're, if you're careful with how you use that word. But this this new movement, uh, it, it it basically held that uh, that uh, when God spoke to the prophet Abraham uh, back when in, in, in time memoriam. Uh, he guaranteed that that his followers, the people that he was uh, speaking, God was speaking to, uh, would become the heirs to a specific piece of land in the Middle East. Yes. Now, this isn't uh, scriptural, but it is imputed in the scripture. And uh, this is the basis of believing that the state of Israel had a biblical, uh, a, was a part of a biblical promise. So in 1948, when... Uh, when this, uh, when the state of Israel was created by the United Nations, it had a little cheering section in the in the United States among uh, among churches, and that cheering section is the one we're talking about. That that was the the start of Christian Zionism. Uh, the growth, of course, took place after that, because the churches then, like the Southern Baptist Church, which was a uh, was uh, started after the Civil War. Uh, the Southern Baptist Church said, pointed to this and said, see, God has, is doing that. He's actually created the state of Israel for us right there, just as he promised in the book of Abraham, in the book of Genesis. And, um, and so then this, uh, this attracted people to it and they said there must be something to it. Now, the, the movement that calls itself Christian Zionism is, is, is attached to what some would call the end times movement. In yes. other words, they believe the world is coming is, is hurtling toward a toward a disastrous end, yes. and uh, that and in that end there will be a gigantic war. Uh, they yes. call that war Armageddon. You probably heard that term. Yeah. That war is going to take place in this tiny little strip of land called Israel, and during that war, all the major countries of the world are going to be destroyed by a combination of the Israelis and God. Oh, uh, at that point, Jesus gee, that sounds turned. like a really great idea. Yeah, at that point, Jesus <laughs> is destroy the, the earth for yes. God. Let's help God out. Destroy yes, the yes. earth. <laughs> so, so, so God, God returns in the person of Jesus at that war, and the problem. One of the problems that a lot of uh, that makes a lot of uh, Zionists in Israel not like this idea is that uh, the, the scripture story says that. Uh, th- that all of the Jew, all of the Jews will be uh, eliminated during this war, <laughs> because only the those who actually believe in Jesus will survive. Yes. So uh, almost all the Jews are then considered to be cannon fodder, and uh, so people like John Hagee have preached for years that, that when this giant war comes uh, comes uh, comes about, it will destroy all of Ju- Judaism. That's right. It will destroy Israel. See, this is the thing that the Israelis and the, the, the people forget about the Christian Zionism, is yeah. they believe that it is, that, they, that, that Israel is rising up, and that is that they deeply, I mean, I know, 
I have some, I have friends from all walks of life. And I really do. And I grew up in Alaska, which had, during the Ronald Reagan administration, had the largest per capita number of moral majority members in the entire United States. And I knew people who went to Sarah Palin's church and Victory Bible Camp, where out where she, out in Wasilla, where she lives, and they believed profoundly and deeply that it was necessary for Israel to commit these atrocities and be real, to be as violent as it could be, because it was a precursor to God sending the Messiah and destroying Israel. And so they were excited by it. It did not offend them. It did not upset, it not, did not uh, they it titillated them. They were enthusiastic towards the abuses. They wanted Israel to fulfill the prophecy of violence and degradation and and to destroy its own humanity, because they said, "Well, Israel must destroy its humanity in order for God to come back and give us our Messiah." We must have our Messiah, and then the Messiah will destroy Israel. And, uh, you know, I, I, to, to me, I, I love, see, I believe in God, and a lot of people are like, well, that's, you know, how could anybody be a Christian and believe those things? I do believe in God. I, I, I don't believe in that, in that form of Christianity. But to me, God is, a, is about a creative force of life and, you know, the, the original Jesus was a man of, a, a humanitarian. He, he would never have, have supported the kind of philosophy that is being preached by these Christian churches. Well, that's, uh, of course, a very true. And, uh, and, and this, uh, but I believe in God, people. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to confuse anybody. I believe in God. I, I believe in. I don't necessarily believe in religion, <laughs> but I think. I think God must be very disappointed by some of the religions that are out there. But the but the principle of God itself and the, and the universal flow of energy. Just look how beautiful this world is. How could anyone want to destroy any part of it and call themselves godly people? It just. It just whether whether. Whether you're ISIS and jihadis in 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 the Middle East, it just may, drives me crazy that these people would, would ever cl- declare a love of God to destroy the earth that is God's gift to all of us, the most precious thing. It is just such an amazing, amazing, beautiful earth that we live in, and it, it's so worthy of our protection. And we need to be doing more. Anyway, uh, that's my my tantrum right there. But I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Carlson. It's a very nice tantrum. Uh, now, uh, this 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 sounds preposterous to talk about this. And of course, if we had Reverend John Hagee here, he would say, "You have, you have it all wrong. You've misinterpreted everything." And and he would phrase it differently. But he would wind up pretty much going back to the same place. He's actually. Uh, change some things because he has so many Jewish friends now. Uh, but you, you might wonder why the state of Israel would tolerate dealing with somebody like these uh, thousand or more 
uh, big church pastors who support Israel. The reason is uh, many of many many uh, Israeli Jews and 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 Jewish Americans have said this is outrageous. These people actually believe we're going to be exterminated. Yes, uh, if they we don't do believe, believe Jesus, it. We're going to be exterminated, and only the few Christians who are there are going to be left behind. It's the name of a famous book, yes. and they believe. Uh, that there's going to be an earthly kingdom in which Jesus is going to return and actually reign over a kingdom of only the good people. That'll eliminate all the bad stuff in the world. Uh, so this is uh, uh, this is part of the of this theology. And many Jewish people have said this is outrageous. I won't have anything to do with this. Look at the, what these people really think. Well, as a result of the incongruity of what we're talking about, the, the fact that it sounds ridiculous. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has lost some 4 million members. 4 million are there 21 million members or maybe more than wow. that right now. They have a major, they have major concerns about their loss, loss of membership. The fastest growing group in America is atheists. Uh, uh, Islam is growing pretty fast too in America, but agnosticism or, or I don't believe in any of this is, is one of the fastest growing, is the fastest growing single group in America, so it's, it's no surprise that both you, Susan, and We Hold These Truths has a lot of people who believe in what we do, but who, who consider themselves uh, as not, non-believing in God. They, they've given up on God. And a lot of those people are coming out of the, the evangelical churches, and they're saying, I reject all of this, especially young people. Young people are rejecting this whole idea that we're talking about of Christian Zionism. So, God has not been forgotten in all this. Uh, the truth is is of God, and God is of the truth. Um, and uh, so, uh, there there is a change going on, and Christian Zionism is losing momentum, and they're struggling very hard. But then they're but, losing faith in God too. I mean, that to me is the ultimate tragedy: is that true? I, you know, I, I and I know my atheist yeah. listeners. Please bear with me when I say this, because. You know, the earth is just so gorgeous. It's so magnificent. And, you know, you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ or the prophet Muhammad or Buddha, you know, to think of there being a greater force of life and to want to celebrate it. And to me, I call that God. I call that a universal force of, of total energy and life and it's be and it's just magnificent. And everything we, you know, so, you know, Christians right there may say, oh, you're not a real, per you're not really religious because you're not, you're more spiritual than religious. That may be true. Uh, but I, I, de I, I believe in God. I, I do. And to think that people, that, that Christian Zionism is driving, because it's so embedded in this philosophy of killing people, as a necessity to have God in your life, you have to be bloodthirsty. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that just breaks my heart. It's really hard to imagine, and and they and they go out and and have many many devices they use to to find justification for this. Uh, but uh, I think you mentioned this that uh, that Jesus was, of course, uh, a man of peace. And if you read the Christian New Testament, which is a very small book, uh, just a few chapters, uh, there is not a word in it that would ever allow anyone who listened to one word that's attributed to Jesus or to any of his followers in that to ever take the life of anybody. Um, there's, right. there's absolutely nothing in the New Testament 
that, that I've ever been able to find or anyone's ever shown. And we've asked, we've asked pastors and hundreds of people in front of churches to show us where, where, where there's anything in Jesus' words that would ever allow the life of a, a single person to ever be taken for any reason. And yes. uh, nobody ever has um, met that challenge. There have been a few kind of futile efforts, but most people don't even try. Uh, so uh, the, the whole idea of Christian Zionism is, is an incredible farce. It's one of the it's one of the proofs, I guess, that uh, that there is a great God and that man is a pretty frail beast that he can that he can swallow something like what we've been talking about here. Uh, when right in front in front of us now, anybody who goes to do a Google search or a Wikipedia search of the war in Gaza gets the facts about how many how many people have been killed on both sides, uh, and and these are pretty reliable, and it's coming from many 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 sources, uh, and and so uh, the evidence of this incredible evil that's being perpetrated is is available to anyone who will just look. And what, what Christian Zionism says is you must not look. You can only look at what we tell you. And in, in the Bible that they follow that was written in uh, 1908 by Cyrus I. Schofield, and it's now been uh, copied by many other Bibles uh, called study Bibles, and I won't name them right now, but in the original book uh, written, written way back there in 1980, this was promoted by very powerful Zionists because they saw the value of it. And what this man did is he wrote footnotes into the Bible that justified all the things that Susan and I have been talking about today. So it starts out with in the in the book of Genesis talking about Abraham giving a piece of land, uh, God giving a piece of land to Abraham, and then uh, the footnotes explain where that land is and why uh, the people today uh, are entitled to it, even though they can't even trace their lineage to, uh, even though no one's ever That's found right. Abraham's bones to begin with. Yes. Uh, but uh, there's no way anybody can trace their lineage to it. And and furthermore, nothing in, in, in God's work anyway ever said that uh, you owned a piece of land because uh, your, uh, your great-grandfather knew somebody who once lived there or something like that. Uh, this is the frailty of the whole idea that Israel owns a piece of land in the Middle East which was basically stolen from the Palestinian people while they still lived there. It was simply taken away from them by uh, essentially Great Britain and the United States. Yes. Um, in, in a thing called yes. the Balfour Declaration. Yes, the 19, Balfour 1917, Declaration. 1917. They simply ignored that there were people living there and said, okay, we'll give this land to Israel. And well, then, and the irony was the Palestinians had always been inclusive. There were only 25,000 Jews living in Palestine in 1900. And the number by 1939 uh, or right before the war, maybe 1940, rose to 49,000 Jewish people in Palestine uh, but they were welcomed but because they, the Palestinians were an inclusive, tolerant people who treated other people with justice and kindness. And so they were not threatened by whether Jewish people were there. All kinds of people, Christian people were there. You know, it was just, it was just a, a, a tolerant, wonderful society. That's historically what it was. But between 19, at, at, from 1900, when there's 25,000, 
up to the year 1939 or 1940 when there's now 49,000. I mean, that's not a lot of people to say versus a couple million Palestinians, um, you know, two or three million Palestinians in the same time period. You're talking about a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the society. Uh, everybody, we're about to come to a break. And I just want to say again who, where you can find uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Charles Carlson, Chuck Carlson's message. It is at We Hold These Truths, WHTT.org. And tomorrow in Colorado, there's going to be a, a, an event where they're going to visit the Faith of Bab. Faith Bible, blah, Faith Bible Chapel, where, uh, Reverend John Hagee is going to be speaking. And, Reverend Hagee is going to be speaking. And, and they're going to be a challenge to these people where Christian philosophy is going to be challenged directly with a message of peace and anti-war. I think it is wonderful what you do. I just thank you so much. We have, we're coming up to the break right now, but um, every everybody, if you're out in Colorado, if you're Christian or non-Christian or atheist, please be aware of this wonderful group, which is trying to restore a, a sense of humanity to the fundamentalist evangelical Christian faith, and it's it's pro-peace and pro-life. Uh, you may not agree with everything that they believe, but. They are anti-war, and they're putting it on the line, and they're speaking to people who have a, who are very difficult to reach because the rest of us often do not have a faith in God that would allow us to communicate on and to, to know the Bible well enough to be able to communicate with the, with the Christian fundamentals and insert some reason and humanity. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Covert Report with Susan Lindauer and my wonderful guest today. Charles Carlson from We Hold These Truths, WHTT.org, which is a pro-peace, pro-life group. Uh, and tomorrow, they are doing something that I, they, they, these, 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 as you can tell from listening to Mr. Carlson, some of their followers are not religious. Uh, many of them are, however. And they are challenging Christian Zionism in the Middle East, which is propagating the George Bush neocon philosophy. It is very difficult, very, very, very difficult to find uh, groups that are capable of speaking in the language that these Christian Zionists can understand, which with all the biblical references. And that's why uh, Mr. Carlson's group is so valuable and necessary and important to all of us because you are doing, you, you are engaged in a dialogue with people that many of us cannot reach at all, um, anymore. Uh, and, and, and you're cap, and, and, and t- tell us how you do that. Like you, tomorrow, you're, you're doing an event in Colorado. And, and tell us about that. Uh, okay. <clears throat> well, um, there are, Christian Zionist strongholds in just about every city in America. The, the, the South, of course, has lots of them because of the Bible Belt and all. Uh, but uh, this one uh, is called Faith Bible Chapel. It's in a place called Arvada, Colorado. And uh, between uh, 5 and 
and seven seven o'clock, seven p.m. tomorrow evening, we'll be we'll be there. And uh, we started doing this. Uh, it's, it's getting years ago, seven or eight years ago, or maybe more. Uh, we've been to about a hundred of these events, and we've happened to have been to Faith Bible Chapel before uh, two times. And the reason for that is that they're one of the most prominent supporters of John Hagee's uh, Christians United for Israel. Christians United for Israel basically gives a lot of money uh, for Jewish settlements uh, in in. Uh, in the West Bank, where they take Palestinian land away from farmers and basically put new settlements of com- new communities there. You yes. people have all been reading about that. Yes. And, uh, and and Reverend John Hagee, who I mentioned before, is is probably the best known of all the Christian Zionists in America, and he's in proper also one of the most outrageous. He's actually prayed for war against Iraq. <gasps> we, have a, oh. we have a video of him conducting a prayer. Where he wants to bomb, he wants the United States government. He's praying that the United States government will bomb Iran, prevent oh. a nuclear holocaust against the state of Israel. This is his excuse. Um, oh, he no. says things that go beyond the imagination of the wildest of us. And uh, and uh, and more recently, he said that uh, he's he said, "Hold your hat on this one." That America is being punished by uh, the Ebola epidemic because we have failed to support the state of Israel fully, as the Bible demands us to do, and therefore America is falling under a curse from God. And Ebola, he said, is this curse. Well, you would think no one Ebola would. Ebola is a curse from God because we're not paying money enough money to Israel. That's oh, right. My so, God. Oh. You wouldn't think that anyone would go and hear John Hagee. And since we started doing this, the number of churches that are willing to let him in is diminishing so fast that we're wondering uh, whether how much energy we need to put into this. We really are looking for other avenues to spread our message. You've got to put energy into any man who's saying that Ebola is a curse from God, not paying enough money to Israel. Oh, oh, please don't stop. (laughs) Don't Uh, stop. uh, But when he has this meeting tomorrow evening, Sunday evening at Faith Bible Church, there will be Israeli citizens there, probably somebody from their army, who will explain to the people there how humanitarian the, the Israeli military is. Uh, they'll say things like, now we never bomb a home in Israel without calling the people who live there first and telling them to get out. And that's true. Israel's in, intelligence is so excellent yeah. that they know every phone number of every home in Israel in, in Gaza, and they yeah. literally can call people and tell them, get out of your house, we're going to blow it down in 30 seconds. And that's about what they do. Uh, and, and they, they have actually. It's terrorism uh, of, and nothing else. Yes, it's terrorism. I'm going to blow up your house in 30 seconds. That's terrorism. Right. And, uh, so, um, and, and of course a lot of the people can't get out or the phone don't work or it's busy or whatever. You can imagine what happens. But the, 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 the military people will talk about... I, you know, I, excuse me, I have to comment on that. That is the same thing. There is no difference between that and some 
uh, some terrorist calling uh, the, the the police and saying hi. In 15 minutes, we're going to bomb. We're, a bomb is going to explode at the at the railroad station or the airport or something like that. There's no difference in that. That's terrorism. There's not. There's That's not. Terrorism. And th- there's a lot more to this. People wonder why would Israel even do this? What is what is it about Gaza that they they're willing to? We, we've called it genocide. We've said their intent is to to wipe out the people or to force those who survive to leave with no place to go. And we've written about this, and and I do really believe that that's Israel's aim. And I think there's very a sensible and sound, from an Israeli perspective, economic reasons why they would be willing to do that, involving natural gas and oil and water and so on. But uh, that would be a digression. That's for another time, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, in our in our visits to the churches, what we try to do, we know that we're not going to change anybody like John Hagee. Uh, he's beyond uh, our influence uh, and anybody's influence. God probably can't even handle him. Uh, so um, uh, we, we uh, uh, he's vastly overweight. Maybe that's going to be his uh, his uh, payment. But in any case, uh, uh, we. Uh, uh, we try to talk to people who are, are are attending, especially we try to talk to the kids. And what I tell people who come and join us is, if you don't know what to say to these people, uh, just uh, single out the youngest people that you find uh, going by you into the church and ask them if they'll talk to you about it and ask them do they know uh, about what uh, John Hagee says and uh, are they aware of what Jesus said about peace? And what Jesus said about uh, uh, loving your neighbor, even loving your enemy. Uh, are you, are you, if you can find a 16-year-old and you can ask him a question like, "Excuse me, uh, you look like a bright young guy. Uh, can you tell me, from your knowledge and your teaching in this church, uh, who would Jesus bomb? Who would Jesus Ooh, bomb? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a guy come out who was a former Air Force uh, officer or. Uh, and he'd retired, and he came out and talked to us in front of a huge church in Washington, D.C. area. It was uh, uh, an enormous, enormous church with some 18,000 members and a road around it. And uh, the people there had to make a special effort to talk to us. And he came out and talked to me, and I asked him, and, and we had a sign. We have a big sign that says, Who Would Jesus Bomb? And he came out and he said, I go to this I love that. member here. Who Would Jesus Bomb? Yeah, and he said, I love that. He came out and showed me his forearm. He had a bunch of tattoos. And he said, I have a, a blank place here on my forearm. I'm going to put that statement on on my forearm. I'm going to the tattooist next week and tattoo on who would Jesus bomb and wear it for the rest of my life. And um, he sent, sent us a, a picture of his forearm. So, And sure enough, it says, who would Jesus bomb on his forearm? So that's the kind of that's the kind of people we're trying to reach. This guy had been in the military. He didn't like it. He dropped out. He was going to this church. He knew that they were uh, had these strange ideas, but he'd never really got a handle on what Jesus, how Jesus fit into it. They cover that up very carefully. And so when we when we showed him a, a sign that said "Who would Jesus bomb?" Uh, it suddenly. Um, Struck tape pay dirt. He he recognized immediately the the error of the very church. Uh, we we uh, we we try to reach a few people in these churches. We make these movements very small. There aren't a lot of us. We don't try for mass media. It's too expensive, too difficult, 
and it's uh, and the people who come don't understand it well enough to talk to the people inside. So yeah. we've done these we these efforts with as few as two people, and as many as uh, thirty, I suppose, and never more than that. And uh, I got a call yesterday as I was uh, driving home from a neighboring city. It was from the police department, and uh, the officer called me and said, "We hear that you're coming back." To Faith Bible Chapel, and he gave me his name, and I re- remembered his name from last time in 2011. And uh, he wanted to know how many people would be there, and I said, "Well, not very many. There never are, you know that." And uh, and he said, "I know you know the rules. You uh, we talked to you before, but kindly call me back tomorrow and tell me, uh, give me an idea so that we can know what we have to do." Uh, the we we notified. Uh, the church in advance that we're doing this, uh, we want them to know about it. Uh, sure, we try to notify the people, uh, the, the, the pastoral staff there as best we can, uh, and uh, the, anybody who uh, we can find who's related to the church. We, we tell them why we're doing it in advance. So what we're trying to do is influence the people in the church to recognize the mistakes that they're making and the cost of these mistakes and maybe even the cost to them personally in their spiritual life. Yes. Um, I I came out of that same situation being in one of those kind of churches, and I recognized uh, in nineteen uh, in, in nineteen ninety eight that we were getting ready to bomb uh, under George Bush the first. We were getting ready to to bomb Iraq for the first time, and uh, and I I asked the members of my church the question: What if we uh, What if we kill millions of Muslims in this this effort to go in and Save uh, the, the oil uh, of Kuwait from being taken over by Iraq. Uh, what, if, what if we lose even one of our own soldiers? What if we lose one American boy doing this? What would God say about that? And my church had no answer to that. That was when I had to leave my church. Well, we, and, and let's be honest, people. We didn't kill one person. We killed two million human beings died from sanctions on Iraq. The United Nations sanctions were the the worst weapon, killed more people than every weapon of mass destruction ever used in history combined. More people died from United Nations sanctions in Iraq than ever died from all the WMDs ever used in history, which makes the UN sanctions against Iraq the worst and most offensive weapons of mass destruction ever. Equal in their own right. Right, that's absolutely true. We don't. We, we can't even estimate the cost of what we've done to the people of Iraq, and and it was very foreseeable. But my church actually supported it, and they they did it because they believed in this end time scenario, and that God was carrying out His plan, and the destruction of the Middle East was a part of that plan, and and uh, so they uh, so they. Uh, and one of the, uh, one of the leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention was a man named Richard L. Land. Uh, he was the head of kind of a communications department that had to do with, uh, 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 dealing with political thought, you might say. And Richard L. Land said of the people of Gaza, it's God's way or the highway. Oh, oh, gosh. It's God's way or the highway. In other words, get out. You don't belong there. You're you're clogging up God's eternal plan. That's what Richard Land said to them officially. Said that. 
and we quoted that in our stories we wrote back in the 19, uh, 1990s before we ever even had an organization. Uh, so we, we go to the churches like uh, George Morrison's church. He's this uh, prominent Zionist. And, and we try to talk to the kids. If I tell people, if the guy has got white hair, don't bother. He's probably, his mind is made up. And by the way, I have white hair. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so there are exceptions. But, um, uh, we, we, we tell the people that come, try to talk to the, uh, try to talk to the kids. Uh, realize that you're not going to change the pastor here or the, Leadership of this church, that, that's not going to happen. They are going to diminish in time. Something, something will happen. Uh, but what we're trying to do is, uh, is reach a, a number of people and make a sort of a statement. And, uh, and we do that. And so, uh, that's what we'll be doing there, uh, on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon for uh, two or three hours. And it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good conversations and, uh, there's, uh, sometimes some hostility, but, Generally speaking, we know how to behave ourselves, and uh, and so uh, we do these uh, do these vigils. Um, and you, how many have you done? You've done. You started seven or eight years ago. We've done over a hundred now. Uh, You've we, done this, hundred over hundred. Yeah, this Faith Bible Chapel has had Hagee in so many times. The the uh, the pastor there, uh, who is a very successful businessman, as many of these pastors are in evangelical churches, uh, he's accumulated enormous. Uh, properties. They have three church buildings uh, in three three different places. Uh, thousands of members, maybe five to ten thousand members. I don't know the number. Uh, he's conducted uh, over fifty tours to Israel, and they carry and they take uh, they take members of the church back. They pay a large fee. They go back there. I'm sure the church makes money on it, and then they turn these people over to the Israeli uh, guidance team. Which usually has a military guy involved, and they give them a very uh, posh five uh, five star hotel tour, and send them home without ever meeting a Palestinian. Uh, oh. they, they they don't meet a single one unless there's one that uh, that they uh, that they work. Yeah, the, the maid mm-hmm. in the hotel who's probably told to go home for that week so that they they're not contaminated. You know, all the people who the servant oh. class are removed so that they for for that for the duration of that. The people that may go on these tours see nothing, and this this money for these tours is very important to Israel. Uh, George Morrison is also active politically. Uh, recently, I ran into him one year ago in the legislature of Colorado, where uh, uh, an Israeli team had come into Colorado, and they were trying to pass a law that would allow uh, the treasurer of the state of Colorado to invest our taxpayers' tax-paying money, the money we pay in taxes. I pay taxes. Uh, the churches don't, by the way, but uh, uh, the uh, that they would be allowed to uh, invest that money in bonds issued by the state of Israel that are payable in dollars and um, or or shekels. Either Whoa, way. wait a minute! They're allowed to invest their money in Israel. Right. They, this law would allow uh, uh, the the treasurer to invest uh, the taxpayers' money, the money that's collected from us in taxes each year. And which isn't spent uh, at one time; it's uh, some of it's in reserves and so on. Yeah. That money is invested, and in, usually in the United States government bonds or some other investment that's super safe, thought to be super safe. Yeah, I won't comment on that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but uh, yes, this law would have allowed the treasurer to put all that money into Israeli bonds, and 
we noticed that the state of Israel has has uh, twice devalued their currency. Uh, they've walked away from one currency and and just invented a new one, and everybody lost everything who had that currency. Uh, Israel is a very unsound economy because it's always at war. Oh yeah, you can't be at war all the time, Susan, and not be and, and be a sound business. Absolutely. So with with very little resources, the state of Israel is absolutely depending dependent on the money that's being given to them by uh, Jewish friends and of course by the United States government. So here here they would uh, uh, they would this well anyway George Morrison was there testifying. How safe it was, how wonderful Israel was, and why uh, this should dishonest. be passed. That's and, and, fraud. That's like that's very. Well, that's not well, smart at all. Well, we we actually got that uh, piece of legislation amended slightly because we managed to convince one senator in the in the in the legislature, and we got a slight amendment on it that said Israel's credit qualifications had to match up to other countries that can sell their bonds to the United States, and of course they don't. So, uh, but Mr. Morrison is, uh, is a political, he's a political guy in addition to being the pastor of this church and a a very hugely successful businessman. We have no idea how much money he has. Uh, so, uh, he has had three uh, or more of these events in his church and each one has been sandwiched in between, uh, between two of these uh, raids on Israel, uh, on, on Gaza. Uh, the last one being in uh, this year in, uh, 2014, one just a few months, uh, a few weeks ago, when, uh, when 1100, or pardon me, almost 3000, uh, Gazans were killed and, uh, the wounding, we don't even know the number really. Uh, and so he's done, he's had, uh, he's had several of these events there raising money. For the state of Israel and supporting them in every possible way, and yes. uh, each one sandwiched in between two of these big, huge bombing raids that have been put over on the on the Gazan people. Oh. And so we've written oh. about that. Uh, oh. So th- that's the nature of these uh, vigils. We did one in San Francisco recently, uh, where uh, Christians United for Israel uh, was uh, was honored in in a uh, synagogue. And uh, at that uh, synagogue, uh, we were accompanied by Jewish Voice for Peace members who came there and said, not in our name. And uh, that was the first time we'd ever gone to a synagogue. But uh, since John Hagee was invited or since his people were invited, uh, we thought that was appropriate. And we and we did organize a, a small vigil there that was uh, very productive and uh, very, very successful. We've done them. Uh, in the Washington DC area, uh, we've been to, uh, John Hagee's, some of his big annual convention that they do a couple of times, uh, Excellent. and, uh, uh, all the way to San Antonio and Los Angeles. And, uh, Susan, it's great fun. At one of these churches a few years ago, uh, the pastor's wife, uh, came out. Uh, I, I said that we've never had violence. But the pastor's wife came out. Uh, her name, his name was uh, Chuck Smith. He's a very famous uh, Christian Zionist. And his wife came out, and she rendered a curse upon me personally. I happen to be there, oh. and I'm not always at these events. But oh. uh, she came out, and she rendered a curse upon me. Uh, and uh, a we curse really upon you. She cursed Jesus you. Teaching, uh, yeah, we're in oh. Jesus teaching are his followers supposed to place curses on people they don't like. Uh, but, they, uh, they, they place curses, which is like making false idols. 
<laughs> Something like that, yes. Seriously. So, so all kinds of things happen that are interesting and sometimes kind of fun. <laughs> yes, I, w- I would say that would be fun. I would say that would be fun. But uh, but also, I I I'm, I think that it is it is. Uh, do do you get to actually speak to the people and, and interact with them? Uh, many times we don't because of the uh, uh, logistics. They try uh, to make these stand across the street. Yeah, many of these churches have uh, parking lots that consist of uh, forty acres. Oh, <laughs> and they, wow! The church is in the middle wow. of it, and so all you see is cars going by. So we we use very effective, very large display signs to let people yes. know that we're there. Yes. But unless uh, unless they come out and see us, uh, oftentimes we don't get to talk to them. Uh, but, but, uh, so we actually advertise what we're doing in advance and try to let them know that we're doing it in advance. And quite often the pastor will get nervous and uh, make statements about us from the pulpit, which don't work to his benefit really. Uh, we, we've had, uh, we've had pastors that have actually written stories about how bad we are and passed it out to the congregation. <laughs> nothing, would be, uh, nothing would be finer than that. We can't think of anything peace. better than that. They're opposed to killing people. We have to stomp them out. (laughs) They are very dangerous. But in some cases, uh, some cases there are parking lots where people have to actually walk by us and we get a chance to talk to them a little bit. And, um, and, and we do have good experiences every time we do it. Well, uh, I tell you, three things that I remember that they said that Jesus said to his followers, you will always be poor, you will always be happy, and you will always be in trouble. (laughs) <laughs> and it seems to me that that was that if if you follow if you follow the real teachings of, of of Jesus Christ, then we would not have so many of these problems that we're having today, either with the Muslims or with any other human beings on the earth, because these the teachings of the the, the real teachings of Christ were very simple and and about humanitarian causes and to treat other people with dignity and and and. And honor and, uh, anyway, we have, the, we're in the last two minutes of the show. Please, uh, give us a summary and tell us again, uh, where they can find you and. Okay. Well, we're, we're WHTT.org. That's, uh, we hold these truths.org. Everything we've talked about is there somewhere. Uh, we're a volunteer organization. Everybody's a volunteer. Um, and, um, uh, uh, we can, uh, we can, and, and I urge you to watch a little film called The Tragedy and the Turning, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning. It's free. Uh, we've never tried to sell it. Uh, uh, we do offer um, hard copies if people want to buy them from us, but uh, you can watch it there. Uh, it explains pretty much everything I've covered here in some fashion, and it starts out, America is a war-based economy, and we need to understand that we are wrapped up in a, in a system where it profits a lot of people to get into these wars, and so they encourage people like John Hagee, they encourage churches like this. Uh, I want to leave you with one thought of how you identify the Christian Zionist in your family or your own pastor or whoever you talk to. It's very simple. You ask a simple question and, and write this down or, or commit it to memory. Uh, do you believe that the present-day state of Israel, the political state we know about, that we hear in the news, is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Question mark. Do you believe that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy? 
without exception, people who are Christian Zionists or influenced strongly by it will will respond yes. If you go to a pastor of a Methodist church, a pastor of a uh, of a a Lutheran church, he will probably hesitate and say, "I don't know," or uh, "I really don't believe that's not part of our doctrine." He'll probably say something kind of negative. That's the way you. uh, That's the way you tell. that's why you identify positively whether your aunt or your uh, father-in-law is a Christian Zionist. It's not offensive, and they'll tell you very proudly, yes, if they believe that, if, they, if yes. they've been taught that. You yes. need to... Uh, and if you're careful. going to a church, and you're trying to find a new church, and you're oh, trying to decide if the church... Ask everybody. And believe it or not, in almost every church you'll find somebody who believes that, even if the church doctrine is against that. Even if the church doctrine is traditional. In other words, they believe...